Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When people think on the scriptures, the Old and the New Testaments, sometimes people come up with different viewpoints on the, the two different Testaments. So sometimes people want to pit the Old Testament against the New Testament or vice versa. And some hold the false idea that the Old Testament was written for the Jews and the New Testament is written for Christians. Or some have falsely figured that the Old Testament contains nothing but law and the New Testament contains nothing but gospel. The reality is there's both law and gospel found in both Testaments. Some figure the Old Testament is no longer useful for, for the modern-day Christian, and therefore it does not need to be studied or examined, and that we should simply focus on the New Testament. Or some feel that the Old Testament is way too obscure, while the New Testament is nice and clear. These ideas are usually not taught, for, but for whatever reason, many Christians, despite their piety, develop these false conclusions. Now, some even feel that the Old Testament is simply stories about blood and war and destruction and immorality and horrible sins and all sorts of unwholesome events. Yes, that is how some have described the Old Testament. And others do not like the detailed descriptions of the ceremonial law or the Old Testament seemingly cryptic pr uh, prophecies that, of things that are to come. Because of this, some simply prefer to bypass these important words of God. But what would the Christian faith be like if God had not divinely inspired the Old Testament to be written for our learning? Without it, there would be no Old Testament quotation spoken of by Jesus or written of by the various evangelists in the New Testament. Paul could not have included the quotations that we hear in our epistle today, these many passages that show that the gospel is not limited to one people group, but that the gospel is available even to Gentiles, which if you cannot trace your ancestry back to Abraham, then you would likely be a Gentile. And now through the Old Testament, we can see that this gospel is even for you. Without the Old Testament, there would be no Psalms. There'd be no knowledge of where we came from, how God brought things into being. There'd be no understanding on how the world came into sin or what God's solution would be to take care of that sin. There'd be no prophecies concerning our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then no certainty that the true Messiah has come. But with the Old Testament, we know these things, and we know with certainty that Christ Jesus is the true and the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world, and that through him we have eternal life and salvation. Because of the prophecies of the Old Testament, we can see that Christ truly fulfilled those prophecies, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would bear the world's sin in his own body, that the Lord would lay on him our iniquity, that he would die in our place, and that the Holy One would not see decay, that is, he would rise from the dead. Without the Old Testament, it would, it would give the appearance that we have a relatively new religion without a foundation. Of course, that would not be the case. But with the Old Testament, we can say with absolute confidence and clarity, it is written. 
We have the word of God that gives us hope. We, we can do as the Bereans did. We can search the scriptures. Today's epistle talks about this hope that we have with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bereans became filled with this hope. Many of the Bereans, whom Paul met on his second missionary journey when Paul and Silas brought to the gospel to them, were Gentiles. And yet they searched the scriptures, coming to knowledge that it is true that what Paul says concerning the Christ has been fulfilled. The Old Testament scriptures are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Bringing the gospel to those outside the Jewish family fulfills many Old Testament prophecies as our epistle teaches. And now the whole world can hear of the grace of Christ. The whole world can be included into his family as they hear the gospel, as they are converted, as they are baptized into Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, God was preparing his people to meet Jesus. He was preparing for the coming Messiah as he had promised. He was making the world ready for the birth of Jesus. He was setting the stage right. And in the fullness of time, our Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And he was born under the law to fulfill the law and to redeem us. And just as God prepared his people for the, coming of, for the first coming of our Lord, so also God is preparing us to meet Christ today. We sang beautiful words in our hymn of the day, O Lord, how shall we meet you? These words show us that great hope that we have, that confidence we have in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Advent is a season of preparation so that we are prepared to meet the Lord when he comes again in glory. And so while the world is preparing right now for this generic holiday season, we Christians are preparing for the coming of our Lord. And during Advent, we do not just prepare for the celebration of the birth of our Lord, but Advent, as its namesake implies, for the word Advent is from the Latin for to come, we are preparing for the ways our Lord comes to us. We are preparing to celebrate his birth at Christmas. We certainly are. We're also preparing to continue to meet him as he comes to us today in his word and the sacrament. And we are preparing for him to come again in glory on the last day when he will judge the living and the dead. In fact, this last way in which Christ comes on the last day, on Judgment Day, is the particular focus of this Sunday in Advent. Through continual repentance and faith, through this confident hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, every Christian can be prepared to meet Christ when he comes in, gl in glory at his appointed time. In today's gospel, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray that they would have strength to escape judgment and to stand before the Son of Man to pray that we will be ready. But sadly, many who go under the label Christian are simply not prepared to meet Christ. For many Christians are weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and cares of this life. Many abandon the freedom to do good works and become enslaved to sin and to death. They shun the ways of God 
and thinking that they're enlightened, they go after the ways of the world. They see the word of Christ as being restrictive to their enlightened lifestyles, or they see the word as being unnecessary, pointless. They're not interested then in hearing the word of God or searching the scriptures as the Bereans did or receiving with patience or receiving patience and comfort from the Holy Scriptures. We like to go our own way, plowing our own paths, doing our own thing, doing what pleases us. And that's why people clamor to replace the divine service with entertainment, or modern gimmicks, or the latest fads. Because people do what pleases them for the moment, they spend many moments going after lustful desires, and then they must endure the consequences of those moments for many years. So many people wreak havoc on their lives over a moment's pleasure. But it isn't just the big or shameful things that anger God. It's all sin. Your smallest sins that you think are no big deal are big sins in the eyes of God. If you could keep every commandment of God, but fail in just one place, as James teaches, you are guilty of breaking the entire law. This means then that you are not entitled to any sin. You cannot claim any as being okay just for you. Whether you want to ogle over a beautiful woman, take a glimpse at a few lewd pictures, use foul language, take office supplies from work, waste time at work, or cheat your neighbor through deception, you are not entitled to these things. You cannot do them and think that repentance remains unnecessary and that you, because you have supposed yourself to believe in Christ, that you are on the path to heaven. You cannot create your own way, doing whatever pleases you at the moment and refusing repentance. Our Lord teaches you to pray that you be prepared to meet him when he returns in judgment. And to be prepared is to repent. For you are baptized into Christ. You are a member of his body. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. In his compassion, Jesus took on your sin. He suffered God's wrath. He shed his innocent blood for you, and he died for you, all so that he can grant you the gift of eternal life. He rose from the dead for you, and he calls you by name. He brings you into his kingdom. You belong to Jesus. And what this also means, by virtue of your baptism, you are no longer a slave to sin. In fact, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You receive freedom from sin when you were buried with Christ, died with him, and when you were raised with him in newness of life, when you were joined to his own death and resurrection through the waters of your own baptism. Therefore, as Paul teaches in Romans 6, do not continue in sin, but and reckon, reckon yourselves indeed dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts or present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. 
but instead present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. What I'm saying here as I summarize Romans 6 is that your baptism is not an insignificant part to be prepared when Christ returns. But it is part and parcel of this preparation. For in your baptism, your slavery to sin and the devil is replaced with freedom to do what is good and to live in Christ Jesus. A road to eternal death is replaced with a path to everlasting life and salvation. Our baptisms prepare us to meet Jesus. For when we meet, for when we meet Jesus in baptism, we are given the faith, faith which receives the benefits of baptism, faith which receives the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life and salvation. In fact, in baptism, our Lord Jesus Christ commits himself to you as his own. So baptism is truly a treasure that you have, a treasure of the church. Just as many have false ideas concerning the Old Testament, so there are many false views concerning baptism. Did you know that 20% of the world's Christians do not believe that babies should be baptized? And did you know that figure is around 50% in America? About half do not think that our little ones should be added into God's family through the waters of holy baptism. They have various reasons for thinking that. Some are, they don't think that babies are sinners or that babies are just automatically added into God's family. Or some reverse the focus in baptism. They say that instead of it's, it being Christ's commitment to you, they reverse it to say that baptism is your commitment to Christ. And even many who do hold the infant baptism do not understand it. They turn baptism into merely a family get-together. They look at it as an opportunity to coo over that newborn baby. A lack of understanding of baptism is evidenced in the way many live their lives. Every year, when we make a, another lap around the, around the sun, we celebrate our birthdays. I'm sure none of you are at a loss to know the day in which you were born. I'm sure many of you enjoy receiving cards for your birthday. I'm sure many of you gladly give them out as well, and all of that is good. But what about your baptismal birthday? What about the day that you were added in God's mercy to Christ's church? How many of you can stay, say the day in which you were baptized? And then, if you can, do you remember it that day? Do you celebrate your baptism? It is a good thing to do so. As Christians, it really is for you to remember and to utilize your baptism, not just on the anniversary of your baptism, but also every day. You can do this in a very simple way. That when you wake up or when you're on your way to work or sometime in the morning, say the invocation. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, reminding yourself that you are a baptized child of God. Pray to our Lord that the Lord's angels will be with you. A good prayer to pray is the morning prayer. It's printed in the back cover of your bulletin every Sunday. You can also remember your baptism at the end of each day through daily contrition and through repentance as you pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. As you plead guilty if you pray Luther's evening prayer. These are good things to have as part of your daily Christian life so that you live as the baptism, or as the baptized, and so that you too are prepared for when our Lord meets you on the last day. Are these aspects of your own lives? And in the same way, the Word of God ought to be part of your life each day. Bibles are not meant to sit on the shelf. And so this Advent, I encourage you to read this Gospel of Matthew. Hopefully you'll keep on reading your Bibles beyond this Advent season. For it's important to be grounded in this Word of God, which is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God's Word is truth, and as you abide in it, you shall know the truth, and it shall set you free from your sin, and you are, you are truly a disciple of God. The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is the voice of God. It is written for your learning that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, le and that by believing, you will have life in His name. The Holy Spirit only works to sustain faith in you through this Word of God. And truly, this Word of God, this voice of our Good Shepherd, then prepares us to meet Christ when He returns. Therefore, let this Word of Christ dwell in you richly, both the Old and the New Testaments. Do not get caught up in the ways of the world, as enticing as it may be, and, and, and shun the precious Word, as tempting as that too is. For heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord will never pass away. God's word promises that Christ will return and that when Jesus does, he will create a new heavens and a new earth. What is seen will pass away, but what is unseen is eternal. And God's word, God's word is something for us to cling to and to make use of daily as our Christian life so that we are prepared to meet Christ when he returns in a cloud and with power and great glory. On that last day, when Christ Jesus returns, he will judge the living and the dead. You are prepared as you are grounded in this word of God. You are prepared as you consider again the hymn that we just sang and the blessings that we have from our Lord Jesus Christ. You are prepared as God has added you to his family. And so stand firm in the faith. Do not be afraid, because your redemption draws near. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, when Jesus returns, he will take you and all believers in him to be with himself forever. He will make your body whole and perfect in every way. He will raise your body up so that you will be incorruptible and immortal, and you will stand before his throne. You will see him with, you, with your own eyes, see, seeing him face to face, 
and you, as a child of God, will stand before the Son of Man. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.